Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Well, today is indeed a momentous day here today at Christ our King. Today, we see some extraordinary things taking place. At our earlier service today, we got to see another child, Wesley Michael, brought into the family of God by means of baptism, by the working of the Holy Spirit in his life and the gift of faith to believe in Jesus Christ. Wesley's sins were washed away, the robe of Christ's righteousness given to him, his hope of eternal life secure. And in this service today, we see five young people, McKaylee, Corbin, Harper, Abby, Delilah, all of you being confirmed in the faith that has been given to you by God ever since the day of your baptism. They have been instructed in the faith, examined, and now confirmed, and today we welcome them into communicant membership here at Christ our King. It is a momentous day indeed. Now often when we talk about momentous days in our lives, other times that we would consider like this, it's, it's usually about some sort of human achievement, something like an award we're being given, or, a, or graduation, looking back at all that we've done to get us to this point. And, and those days and those moments, they are good and they are fine. But we want to be absolutely clear about today, because with things like baptism and confirmation, it is momentous, not because of something we have accomplished, but because of something that God has accomplished for us. And so today we celebrate because the gifts of salvation that, that were extended in our earlier service to Wesley and that are being confirmed in all of you, this is the good news from God. And this is exactly what we also see taking place in our first reading today from Acts chapter 9. Because it was the way that God was working in the life of Saul, who would later on be known as the Apostle Paul, that reminds us of all this. But again, it was a momentous event in Saul's life, not because of what he was doing, but because of what God was doing for him. And so it's absolutely fitting for us to hear about that. We see how much God was at work in his life, how far he took Saul from where he was to where God was going to lead him, to where God wanted him to be. And what it reminds us of, what it reminds us, is that God is doing, has done, and is still doing in our lives exactly the same thing. In this account from Acts chapter 9, there's a, uh, there's a key word in there, a little word, but it's very key for understanding what God was making happen. And the word is way, W-A-Y. So as in verse 2 of chapter 9, it says that Saul asked the high priest for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he could bind and bring back to Jerusalem any man or woman that he found belonging to the way. That's what Christianity was called before they were known as Christians. And it refers to the fact that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So people who followed the way were Christians. 
And then in the very next verse, verse 3, it says that Saul went on his way approaching Damascus. So here it was that Saul was on his way to persecute and imprison any he found belonging to the way, any Christians. And then later on, after Saul has this encounter with Jesus... After he is blinded and he's speaking to Ananias, Ananias says to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you, and then the ESV puts it on the road, but in the Greek it's the same word as before, it's the way. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the way by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see how the Holy Spirit is using that word in Acts chapter 9 to show all that was going on in Saul's life. He was on his own way. He thought that what he was doing, that is persecuting these Christians and tearing down those who belong to the way, was actually the God-pleasing thing to do. He thought he was in the right, but it was because he didn't yet know Jesus. He didn't yet know the risen and ascended Son of God. But then he met him on the way. And at that momentous moment, Jesus took what was his enemy and worked the miracle of faith in Saul, who would from that point on also be known as Paul. And Jesus told Ananias, despite his fear of what he heard about Saul, that he needs to go to him and lay his hands on him. And when Saul had regained on his sight, that he would baptize him. And so then Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says to Ananias, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and before kings and before the children of Israel. You see, Jesus was setting Paul on this new way, on Jesus's way, because Jesus had chosen him. And so you see, all of you sitting here today, you also have been chosen by God. You know you have been chosen because the water has also washed over your head, just as it did Paul's. And not just plain water, mind you, but the word of Christ, which is attached to that water, the promise of Christ, which says that with this water in baptism, your sins are washed away. You have received adoption as sons and daughters. The inheritance has been prepared for you in baptism. You were buried with Christ by his crucifixion and raised to newness of life by his resurrection. You have been given eternal life and therefore you will never die. This is the the way that Jesus has chosen for you. Now you see, it's important for us to remember that we didn't start out on this way. We generally like to think pretty positively of ourselves. And of, and of course, in many ways, that's a good thing. It's, it's good to have a positive self-image. But we need to remember that when it comes to our standing before God, our, our own spiritual status, our capabilities when we stand before God, we need to realize that on our own, we were not God's friends. 
Scripture says by our nature we are sinful and unclean. We were rebels against God. We were his enemies. And so when we come before him like we did again today and confess our sins, we are confessing more than than just we've messed up every once in a while. We are confessing that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We are confessing that without God we cannot save ourselves. We are naturally opposed to him. We, like Saul, were on our own way, apart from God, a way that was leading us only to death and hell. That's why it's so amazing to hear what happened to Saul today. Because what we see is that Jesus intervenes in his life in a momentous way. Jesus takes Saul, both physically and spiritually, off the way he was on, which was a way of contempt and death, and Jesus places him, on, places him on a completely new way, a way of life and salvation. And then Jesus would send him out as his chosen instrument to share the good news of a risen and ascended Savior with all of the world. And you see, what this reminds us is that Jesus has done the same thing for all of you confirmands, for all of us here today. Jesus has intervened in our lives, both physically and spiritually, by water and the word and the working of the Holy Spirit. And he has set us on his way of life and salvation. The first question that I'll be asking you confirmands today is, do you acknowledge the gifts that God gave you in your baptism? Because that's where it all began for all of us. That's when we were made his. And because we are his, we are his chosen instruments who also share the risen and ascended Savior with all the world. Now, sometimes uh, comparing ourselves to what happened with the Apostle Paul, like we're doing today, that can be intimidating. By comparing ourselves to the Apostle Paul, we, we think about all that he did. When you read through the New Testament, you hear about how the Apostle Paul was God's chosen instrument to indeed bring the name of Jesus Christ before the Gentiles, before kings, maybe even Caesar himself, before the children of Israel. Paul was probably responsible for thousands of people becoming Christians across multiple continents in all of his journey. And we think to ourselves, well, I could never do that. I could never do what Paul did. We need to realize two things today. First of all, it wasn't Paul who did all of those things. And that's, what, that's exactly what Acts chapter 9 is showing us. If it were not for Jesus working in and through Paul, he would still be Saul and an enemy of God. And even when Paul did know the risen and ascended Lord, he knew it wasn't him who was accomplishing everything. It wasn't Paul accomplishing everything. It was Jesus. Paul would later on write a letter to the Galatians, and this is what he said. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus gave Paul everything he needed to be his chosen instrument. And the second thing we need to realize is that God has chosen each and every one of you 
as well. He has chosen you, confirmants. But he has not chosen you to be the next Apostle Paul. He has chosen you, each of you, to be his chosen instrument in the place where you already are. In your life, in your family, in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community. God has chosen you and where you are now is no accident. He has given each of us specific vocations, that is areas where we serve in our lives to do truly momentous things. Confirmands, next year you'll be going into high school. And I think what you'll find, at least this is what I recall, is that it will seem like almost every day or every week people will be talking to you about your future. You'll be choosing classes and extracurriculars and uh, all the electives. And eventually the college process begins in a couple years or whatever you choose to do after high school with visits and applications and, and wondering where am I headed. And so many people will be coming to you and asking you, well, what do you want to do in your life? What do you want to be? And, and I'll be honest, at times you might not know the answer. It seems almost too much to think about. But there's something that I want you to remember. First of all, we always remember that our primary identity in life is as a chosen and beloved child of God. No matter where God may lead you in your life, that is always true. That is always his truth for you. You are his. And second, you can choose to do any God-pleasing vocation in your life whether it's as a doctor or engineer or a farmer or a software developer or an artist, as well as being a husband and father or mother and wife or neighbor and friend. You see, these are all the vocations that we might be fulfilling in life. And each one of them are equally capable of achieving extraordinary and momentous things. But you see, here's the critical point. Just like with Paul, in our lives, in our vocations, in our ways that we serve, they are not momentous because of us, but because of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't accomplish momentous things in our lives to bring us great glory, as if that's what we need, but that he might be glorified. And Jesus is glorified first when he works life and salvation in us as a gift, Jesus is glorified when we go out to love and serve our family and friends and neighbors. Jesus is glorified when we share his name with others, just like the Apostle Paul. Jesus is glorified in those otherwise ordinary looking things in our lives. But they are truly the extraordinary things because Jesus gives us the opportunity to love and to serve others. This world is going to tell you the completely opposite message, by the way. This world that will tell you that in order to be great, that you need to go out and make a name for yourself. That you need to go out and consider yourself first and foremost. That you need to be concerned about you and you only, and then maybe other people. But that's not what's truly momentous. First of all, what is truly momentous is a God who would give himself, up, give himself up out of love for us. A God who would sacrifice himself on the cross, but then three days later rise again for us. A God who would promise us eternal life and a truly momentous life 
is a life where we see that God at work in us, giving us his blessings and gifts, and then a God who then enables us to share that with others so that they too may know him. Now there's one last thing that I'd like to point out from Acts chapter 9 today. And that's when Jesus says, I will show Saul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And we might think, and you might be thinking, well, why would anyone sign up for following Jesus if it involves suffering? But again, we talked about that this week, didn't we? That following Jesus does involve suffering. And and you'll actually be asked some very important questions today. And, And as we do, we'll be asking all of the congregation to think about your own answers to these questions. There are two in particular, the questions, do you intend to live by the word of God? And in faith, word, and deed to remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even to death. And then do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? I told the confirmands this week that these are the most serious questions and the most serious answers that we will ever be asked, that we will ever give in our entire lives. But why is that? Why does a life of a Christian involve suffering? Why did the apostle Paul have to suffer? Why, as in our gospel reading, when Jesus is speaking to Peter and he's saying, you too will die like this, why is he saying, follow me, and this is what it's going to entail? Why aren't our lives as Christians easier when we follow Jesus instead of being harder? Well, the answer is because There is nothing else in our lives, in our lives here on earth or in our lives for eternity, that will ever be as important as Jesus. If all else were to be stripped away in our lives, we realize that Jesus is not only the most important thing, but if all else were to fade away, Jesus is the only thing. He is our life, both now and in eternity. And so when Jesus lays claim on our lives, like he did for all of us in our baptism, and like he does every single day of our lives, like he did with Saul, he takes us from being his enemy in our sin to being his beloved child, the child of God. He enables us to cling tightly to him through all our life, through all the ups and downs, through all the trials and difficulties that our lives may bring. And because we are holding on to Christ and Christ alone, because we are confessing and being confirmed in our faith in Christ, it does put us at odds with the rest of this world. Confirmands, there will be times in your life when you find yourself in conflict with this world, with your school, with your friends, because of your faith. And it will hurt. And it will not be easy. There's no sugarcoating it. You may have to give up, lose some things in your life on account of your faith. But what we hear today, and what you are confirming today, is that you know that even if you were to face the worst that this life has to offer, even if you were required to face your own death on account of your faith, you know that because you have Jesus, because he has chosen you to be his own, because he has promised you eternal life, then no matter what may happen in your life, you know that it will all have been worth it. 
Paul would see this very truth play out in his life. And Jesus helps us learn this truth in our lives every single day. And so today I want to conclude by letting you hear some more words of the Apostle Paul. These are words that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy when Paul was at the very end of his life. In fact, these are some of his last words he ever wrote. And I wonder if, as Paul wrote them, I wonder if he thought about, all the way back to his first encounter with Jesus on that road to Damascus, I wonder if he thought about all that Jesus had brought him through, how Jesus enabled Paul to hold on to Jesus through it all, and reflecting now at the end of his life how it was all worth it. This is what Paul says. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure. The time of my death has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. You see, the Apostle Paul knew that Jesus had chosen him. And that meant everything. Jesus has chosen you, has chosen us all. And we are so thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our risen and ascended Lord. Amen.